When we get to heaven, I'm going to have a voice like that. Behold. This is Garrett and Emily. I asked them to come up here and uh, share a little bit of their lives with us. Today, we're going to talk about defining moments and transitions. And uh, they've just gone through a transition, well, in the last year anyway. They moved here in May. And uh, Garrett's our youth minister, if you didn't know that. And Emily's married to him. And uh, they're both very plugged in here. And we're just really thrilled to have them here. Uh, you've uh, had a transition to moving here. Tell us about any other major transitions in your young lives. I feel like the last three years have been just nothing but transition. Because um, <laughs> we, like, I started, uh, me personally, and she did too. She's moved to a lot of different colleges as well. But moving from community college to, to Bible college and then, you know, moving out of my parents' house and um, getting married and, and living with Emily, that's been a crazy transition. And then uh, we, uh, we moved out of state and far away, and uh, so that was exciting. And then when we moved here, that was exciting, too, to be back close to home. And we've then, since we've moved here, we've bought a house, and we've moved again. And so, uh, yeah, we... A lot of transitions. Yeah, our, we owe our friends a lot of favors. Um, but, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've gone through quite a bit of transition, but it's all been really good, exciting transition. And Emily's going to talk now. Okay. Um, so transition, like when you sent us the, the questions, I thought of um, the transition of families and how, you know, my family's been changing a lot. So um, growing up for a good amount of years, it was just mom and three daughters in one house, um, which is awesome and crazy and probably something you don't want to be a part of. Um, and, and just in the last um, year and a half, you know, we've gotten married. My sister got married two weeks ago. Um, my mom, there's a rumor going around, my mom's thinking about um, getting married again. That's a secret, so just don't tell anybody. <laughs> and if she comes here, don't act like you know. Um, but so, you know, there's just all these men kind of pouring into our family. Um, and so that's been a, a strange transition. For That's just what I thought of. But. Okay. What have been some of the obstacles or losses, you know, some of the negative side of transitions you've gone through? Um, I would say just, um, you know, moving to Fort Wayne was really hard. Moving to Mount Pulaski, even though we were really excited to be here, was hard um, because you don't, you don't know who you're going to be friends with or, or where to, you know, get your car washed or um, who your mechanic is or who your hairdresser is or all that stuff. Um, those seem silly, but when they all happen at once, it yeah. can be really stressful. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things that, when you live with your parents, you're kind of spoiled to think that, like, milk just comes out of the back of the fridge, you know, to the front, or, you know, the, the heat just kind of kicks on. Um, so when, when I moved, when I moved uh, out of my parents' house and I had to take responsibility for stuff, that was, that's a big shock. It still is a big shock um, when, when I get bills in the mail. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Quit sending me stuff. Um, <laughs> I've moved three times and they still find me. But... Um, <laughs> No, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff that comes with transition. The change is oftentimes really good, but anytime that you're, you're changing something, uh, you lose something in the process. You, you lose the security of living at home or, um, you, you know, when we moved from here to Fort Wayne, we, we still have those friends, but those relationships were, were harder to maintain. And then when we move from Fort Wayne to here, we still have that same thing. We have friends back in Fort Wayne that it's, it's just harder to maintain those relationships. So there's, there's always good and there's always a little bit of a loss yeah. as well. 
how have transitions changed you, like spiritually or any way, uh, helped you grow? Um, when, when I read that question, uh, the first thing that jumped out at me was moving from community college to Bible college. And you would think that, you know, community college, uh, you would, you'd be struggling, and then Bible college, you'd just be like, oh, this is so easy now. Well, it was just kind of the opposite, because in community college, like, I had to work to, to grow. Like, I, like there were there wasn't any professors that were being like, hey, have you read your Bible today or anything like that? You know, nobody was assigning me uh, homework that was going to uh, grow me spiritually. So I had to be hungry for that myself. Um, And then when I transitioned to Bible college, uh, I just kind of got lazy because other people were telling me, hey, this is what you need to read. This is what you need to read. And then I just kind of put it off. And it's it's been hard to recover from um, to to get back to that point of I'm, I'm maintaining it for myself rather than somebody's just giving it to me. Um, and then for me, what was the question? Say the question again. What, what have been, uh, what was the question here? Uh, <laughs> how's it changed you? How's it affected you spiritually? Okay, so um, for me, it really strengthened, um, you know, when everything's changing um, really fast and you can't seem to hang on to anything that's going to stay the same, so... You know, I am Emily Collins. Now I'm Emily LaVault, so my name's not the same. I am a daughter of a single mom, so now I'm going to be the daughter of a remarried mom. I am, um, you know, a children's ministry director myself, but now I'm the pastor's wife. You know, who am I? What am I? Changed so fast in three years that um, I really had to decide, you know, where's my identity? Where is that stuck? And and so um, just being challenged to really identify myself as, you know, a daughter of of the one God, and, and that being what stays the same, even though everything else seems to shuffle really fast. But, yeah. Very cool. Uh, what advice do you give to anyone going through transition? Okay, so this is my advice. <laughs> give us the, the voice of wisdom here. Okay, <laughs> this is the, the voice of wisdom, and really it's not even my voice, it's the voice of my mom. So this is my mom's advice. Um, give yourself five months, sweet five months. Um, I, she told me this when I was moving. So when I moved into um, the dorms at college, I was terrified that people were going to eat my food. <laughs> Seriously, greatest fear was that my roommates were going to eat my food um, and I wasn't going to have any friends. And so my mom said, give it five months. Um, and, you know, after that, you can freak out. First five months, let yourself just be unhappy or be uncomfortable or be nervous and then you know, let that happen and, and give yourself a break for the first five months. And then, you know, if you're still terrified of people eating your food after five months, we'll get you some counseling. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, within those five months, I met my um, really good friend, Haley, who is still my best friend. And so it works out. And then, you know, the first five months of Fort Wayne was tough. Um, and then the first five months, even here being with all of you was tough. Um, but not because I don't love you, but because it was such a hard transition. And so, just really give yourself time to settle in um, and get used to that. Don't be so hard on yourself, right? You know, thir- the third weekend that you should be so happy, but you're not, um, it's going to be a tough battle. So just let it, let it happen naturally. Give it five months, not six. He tried to talk me into saying six, but that's not what mom said, five. Six is kind of just a more natural number, I think, with months, half a year. Uh, just saying. But no, like, she, she's right, uh, time and then one of the other things that I've found, I'm pretty optimistic. Um, even when I'm going through tough stuff, uh, it just keeps me going. But like when I when I think about, man, I 
maybe we made the wrong decision or, man, like, this change is really tough. I just try to remain thankful. Like, just count the things that are, that are good, you know. So even though this might be hard, even though I have to work with Mark Weber, you know, there's still a lot of really great kids here, you know. Um, just joking. Uh, but, yeah, just, just take time and, and think about the things that, that are going good. Because oftentimes when we're in transition, the bad stuff just jumps out. It's like, oh, I didn't have to deal with this before, you know. And so automatically you want to go back to where you were. Um, but instead, think about the good things that have come in that transition, you know. I don't know. Teresa, exactly. Teresa's good. Yeah. Yeah. You guys can go sit down now. <laughs> well, we re- yeah, give them a hand. Um, I, I really do believe God brought them here. They're just a, just a fine couple, and they fit in here so well, and uh, just, uh, just appreciate them so much. I, I want you, on another staff matter, Logan, our worship minister, has hit a milestone Two, day, two years ago today was his first Sunday here, so he's starting his third year with us. Been blessed to have them all. Well, transitions are very often uh, an open door for defining moments, and so we're going to look at probably the defining moment in Isaiah's life. Isaiah 6, if you want to turn to that, is probably the pinnacle event in his life, and we read this, or uh, Logan read this at the earlier in the service, and I'm going to read through it again with us and make some comments. But one thing we often overlook in this text is the very first phrase of the chapter. Isaiah 6.1 says, in the year that King Isaiah died. Now that sounds relatively harmless. Kings die all the time. But Judah had known no king like Isaiah since the time of Solomon. Under Isaiah's leadership, Judah prospered said he defeated the Philistines, they defeated the Arabs, the Ammonites paid tribute. The Bible said his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt. And in 2 Chronicles 26, it says the Lord God gave him success. But now, this successful, capable king dies after 52 years of leadership. And Judah's facing the threat of Assyria from the north. And with Isaiah's death, Judah's situation has become quite tenuous. And so this is a transition time for the whole nation. And it says, in that year... In that year of transition, uncertainty and loss for the whole nation, when the king dies, that year is when Isaiah has his vision. And it's in that year that Isaiah experiences the defining moment of his life. So very often, defining moments occur when we experience loss or go through a time of transition. One general rule of thumb that I read about is that every decade, you will go through a significant transition. In fact, one study suggests within two years of your decadal birthday many people go through a major change. A large proportion of job changes, divorces, marriages, major decisions, they happen within two years of your decadal birthday. And I looked at my life and I thought my second decade of life at age 21, I began preaching and got married. And those are pretty major transitions. At age 30, I graduated from seminary, moved to Robinson, my first full-time ministry. At age 41, moved to Moequa, my second full-time ministry. Age 50, moved to Rockford every 10 years. And uh, within two years of your decadal birth year, and that's not true for everyone, but they found very often something fairly significant will occur. And some of these events would include the birth of a child, death of a spouse, retirement, going to college, moving, job change, major illness, Uh, physical changes, marriage, you know, just a lot of things. And those are the times that have great effect on us. 
And transitions are time of both opportunity and danger. After you go through transition stage, there's a good chance you'll be a different person to a certain extent. Transitions usually mean some sort of loss, like you lose your childhood when you go off to college or get married, or you lose your singleness, obviously, when you get married. Children move out. You're in the empty nest now. Or you lose a spouse, change jobs, and lose maybe some security or identity. There's some uncertainty and loss involved in any transition. We all know people who at one time were leaders in the church. They were healthy followers of Christ. And a few years later, they're, where are they? They're, they're far from God. And then there's others who at one time were nominal and far from God for years, and then all of a sudden they got on fire and became dynamic disciples. You will go through transitions. That's not the option. The, the, the question is, how will you go through those? And how will you come out on the other side? So these are defining moments in your life. So let's go back to Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Seraphim are fiery ones, by the way. That's what the word literally means. So these fiery beings, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. The bulk of this experience and vision is God. In the year that Isaiah's death, in the year of transition, I saw the Lord. So during a time of transition or loss, number one, we are often forced to evaluate our relationship to and understanding of God. The powerful king, Isaiah, is dead. And it's not coincidental that Isaiah now sees who is the real king. In the context of transition or crisis or loss, people are usually more open to new revelations. Uh, God can more easily make himself known to us when things are uncertain or we've experienced a major change or loss. I was watching a talk show, uh, day, talk show one day, and they were talking about cults and how people get sucked into cults. And they said people are most open to cultic influence when they're going through a life change, transition is a time where people are more, more open to making a defining shift in their relationship to God, for better or for worse. Two questions usually come up about God, and Isaiah faced both these in his text. First of all, who will be in control? Isaiah is dead, the king is gone, the security is removed, and now the prophet receives a vision of the true king sitting on the throne, and his robe fills the temple. And, and, and it's if, as if God is saying here, Isaiah, you and Judah have been relying on a human king and human ability for five decades, but I am in control. And one of the big questions in transition or change or loss is, who's going to be in charge of my life? Where are you going to put your faith? When I enter this new phase of life, will God be my king? Will I cling to him in an ever greater way, or will I push him away? Who's going to be in control? And the second question is what kind of God? Because transition times often force us to rethink who this God is. Isaiah here is presented with the raw terror of a holy God. The building shakes, the smoke fills the place, these fiery seraphs are flying around shouting in this thundering voice, holy, holy, holy. He's seated on the throne showing his majesty, high and exalted, showing his transcendence. Smoke shows his mystery, his otherness. And holy, holy, holy. If you ask someone... What God's main characteristic is, most people in our culture, I think, well, God is love. And God is love. But never in the Bible does it say God is love, love, love. 
Only holiness is thrice repeated when speaking of God. Holy, holy, holy. He is other. He is above. He is different. This is his first and foundational characteristic. The word holy occurs, by the way, almost 800 times in just the Old Testament. When you go through a time of transition or loss, your view of God will be challenged. Maybe you had a God who is nice and will always protect and never let me be hurt and always hears my prayers. That vision of God may be challenged. Or maybe your God is a moralist. He's right, it's right or wrong, black and white, but a loss of transition forces you to realize there's more to God than niceness or morality, and maybe not everything is so cut and dried. Or your God is lenient, and some trauma or change forces you to realize that's not fully accurate. Or a God who will always bless my faithfulness. Those are all inadequate views, and when you go through a defining transition, you are forced to stop and rethink, what kind of God is this? I've always tended toward legalism. God is wrathful. We have to obey. There's no gray areas. And I'd use the pulpit to beat up on people. Kind of enjoyed it, actually. And I was a great Pharisee. And I've had to go through some defining moments to get a vision of the grace of God and change my inadequate perception. Now, this is very important here. You see where Isaiah is when he's confronted. Where is he at? In the temple. What do you suppose he's doing in the temple? He's obviously worshiping. He's in a place where he makes himself available to God, where God can confront him, where God can speak to him. So during a transition or loss, if you put yourself in places where God can speak to you, he will. Verse 5 is his reaction. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. God is so pure, so holy, so other, Isaiah knows that he is so inadequate, and he is unclean, and he's going to die. His situation is so hopeless, he doesn't even beg for mercy or beg for deliverance. He says, I am ruined, I am going to die. Another issue that comes up, during time of transition or loss, we are often forced to evaluate ourselves. Isaiah is forced to do some self-examination after he sees a new view of God. Now, Isaiah is a good guy, let me remind you. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a man of God. But now he is forced to confront his own inadequacy and his own sin in the presence of his God. You might be a good guy, you might be a good person, but you've got to see your own woe is me moment or I am ruined moment. He sees how fallible he is. Isaiah is not enjoying this, by the way. When I read this, first time I read it, you know, became familiar with it, I thought, man, this is cool. I wish I could have a vision like that. I wish, wouldn't that be cool if we had that, you know, all that going on in this, this building? Well, Isaiah is not enjoying this. He's looking for a place to hide. He's crawling on his belly. He's going to die because of this vision of God, this holy God. He knows he cannot live in the presence of that. Defining moments are usually not fun. Your nice, safe world has changed. Your comfort zone's invaded. God is shaking you up. And you realize I'm not in control like I thought I was. I'm not immune to failure. I'm vulnerable. I remember the day I found out I was no longer cool. It was traumatic. Our son Josh came home from school. I think he was a freshman in high school and said, Hey, Dad, can I borrow some of your clothes for nerd day? That was a defining moment. I am ruined. And although it's not fun, transitions are a tremendous opportunity for self-understanding. 
Isaiah will never again be the same. He sees God, and then he sees himself. New revelation. I always wince when someone says, well, I feel comfortable in my relationship to God. I'm very much at ease. I'm okay. I think that's a dangerous place to be. If your religion isn't changing you, you need to change your religion. Or an old quote says, when you're through changing, you're through. In the Christian walk, we can be bold, we can be confident, we can be content, but we should never be comfortable. When we get comfortable, that's a pretty good sign we need a defining moment. We need some loss or transition to make us see more clearly. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God does not take us through defining moments to destroy us, but to renew us. These transitions we are forced to go through are an opportunity for God to work in us. So number three, transitions can be a time of renewal, cleansing. Usually someone in the presence of God, like Isaiah here, dies because he's a sinner. But God does not want Isaiah to be destroyed. He sends a cleansing coal, cauterizes Isaiah's lips, pronounces him clean. Old ways can be forgiven, past ways repented of, and new opportunities before us. A page in your life has been turned. And then upon this newfound cleanness, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He's ready. During a time of transition or loss, we are often given a new purpose in life. Notice the progression here. After seeing God and who God is in all His glory, and then seeing Himself and the gap between Himself and God, and His own inadequacy, then it makes it possible for Him to receive grace and cleansing and newness. Notice He can't receive the cleansing until He realizes His own sin. And then Isaiah finally receives His mission. When you go through transition or, uh, transition or change, one of the questions will be is, what is my life about? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? Someone once said, in our 30s, we find our place in society. In our 40s, we make our mark in society. And in our 50s and 60s, we question the 30s and 40s. Was it all worth it? Transition offers a time to evaluate. And this pattern that Isaiah goes through is repeated Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul on the Damascus Road gets a vision of the confronted with a holy Jesus, sees the error of his own way, receives grace, and then receives his mission to the Gentiles. Peter was confronted with a holy Jesus after he denied him. He sees his own faults, and then he's restored by Jesus and his grace, and then he's commissioned by Christ and given his mission. Isaiah sees God, he sees himself, receives grace, and then his mission. And here's his mission in verse 9. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. This is not what we would expect for his mission. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Essentially, God is saying, Isaiah, you go and preach, but they're not going to listen. If you read the rest of this chapter, his preaching will fail. He'll speak the word of the Lord, but Israel will not hear, they will not repent, and the cities will be destroyed. However, he doesn't really fail because it's their destruction that will eventually lead to their salvation. Their hope of cleansing comes through their destruction. So your mission may not be an easy one. It may not be as successful as you define success which is really counter to what we often think, that if you follow Jesus, you know, you'll be successful. Well, which of the prophets in the Old Testament were successful or comfortable or popular? 
And which of the disciples in the New Testament had comfortable lives? Jesus did not call his followers to take up their portfolios and follow him. What surprised me about Isaiah is that the most quoted part of this great prophet in the New Testament are these two verses, verses 9 and 10. Now, Isaiah is referenced 411 times in the New Testament. Most quoted these two verses, which basically says people won't listen. The more the disciples called for repentance, the more God's own people refused to listen. To a certain extent, they failed. And when Jesus comes, the Bible does not say, well done, good and successful servant, but well done, good and faithful. I remember one transition uh, when we became empty nesters. And you who are at that point or close to that point, you know what this is like. After the kids are gone, you're in the same room with your spouse and you say, listen. What? What's that sound? What's that? I don't know. I think it's called quiet. And for the first time in 25 years, you're alone with this spouse. And things will never again be the same. Defining time, what now? For the kid that goes off to college, for the first time, mom and dad do not tell them what to do. It's a defining time. What now? Who will be in control? What kind of God will they have? Or you lose your spouse and you're old enough that you may never marry again and you're alone the rest of your life. What now? Or maybe you're newly married. That's a major transition. What now? Or kids come along. What now? It happens at every stage of life. And I see three directions that people go when they go through defining time or transition or loss. Three options. One is to become a spectator. I'm talking spiritually, you know, just kind of back off. Many people have been in church because of their kids for 25 years. And then after the kids leave, they got the empty nest syndrome. And and they may stay in church and may attend, but the kids aren't involved anymore. So they spectate and they watch. They quit Sunday school. uh, They quit helping with youth. Their lives are centered on the grandkids now and enjoying one another or boating or camping or traveling or stashing money away, something like that. And just, just uh, become a spectator. Or retirees, you know, I've given my time, let the younger people do it, and they retire from God's service. Or younger adults, they're just starting their career, they're too busy building their career, I'll attend and I'll watch, but that's all I'm going to do, I'll just spectate. Second option is worse. Some die and fall away completely. College kids, well, it's too much fun to let God get in the way. Empty nesters who were motivated to make sure their kids were in the church at one time, now that motivation is gone and they've become self-absorbed. Junior high students move into high school and, well, I'm too cool to be a Christian now. Or someone, do- someone moves to a new community and can't find a church like their old church and their past community and they die. You can go through the membership role of any church and find scores of names that fit that description. They died. Or the Isaiah option, that's the third option is a new sense of mission. Here am I, Lord. Retirees have a wealth of experience with great potential to do things. College kids, I think for many, the most defining time of their lives is upon them in college. Get into a campus ministry or go to a Christian school, it'll be a defining decision. Young parents, as those children come along, you have to ask, what is my mission with these kids? What is the goal? What is my vision for them? For middle-agers and empty nesters, it's a great opportunity to enter the most productive time as a Christian. You still have good health, you have more money, more time, and less parenting responsibilities. This seasons of life stuff is not new. I mean, you can go back before the time of Christ and people observe different phases of people's lives. The Greeks said, at 30, you're impetuous, strong, bold, and warlike. 
But a man's best years are in their 40s and 50s. Said he's at the maximum of his villainy. I love that. And some of you might be at a critical juncture right now, a defining time. God is shaking your world, and you will change. You can become a dynamic force for the kingdom. And that's what God did for Isaiah. That's what he wants for you. Don't spectate and don't die. I've mentioned this fellow before. I don't think I've ever told the full story. Carson Graves married one of our church girls back in Robinson. And the church gave a wedding gift to all married couples, young married couples. And I took a wedding gift over to them. And that's when I first met Carson. And we talked and he was very congenial. And he asked questions about the church and asked some questions about God, and he was actually asking deeper questions than most people ask. And I was not expecting that because I knew Carson was raised pretty nominally as far as a believer. In fact, by the time I got to him, he was an agnostic. He didn't know if he believed. So he started asking questions, and he opened the door. So I made an appointment to come back and talk, and I knew I had to do some brushing up because he was really sharp. And we had several meetings And I remember one meeting, he said, if this Christianity stuff is true, people should be willing to do anything for it, even die for it. And he could not understand how so many people claim to be Christian, but just don't seem to get it. He got a vision of who God and Jesus really were, and it shook his world. And he made a decision to give his life to Christ. And the Saturday night before the Sunday morning he was to be baptized, he called me. And this was the defining moment of his life to that point. He caught his wife in bed with another man, and she claimed to be a Christian. I assumed it would destroy Carson's faith. He would call off the baptism, but he said, no, let's do it. And so he was in the baptistry, devastated, while his wife was in adultery. Incredible loss. And at that point, the direction of his life hung in the balance. Well, he went through two years of agony over his wife's infidelity. He did everything to reconcile with her. It didn't work. It wouldn't work. Um, And I thought it might destroy him spiritually, but just the opposite happened. He grew. He got through it. He became a radical Christian. We bought our dog about that time, and he thought, he kind of got after me. He said, you're wasting money on a dog and dog food when there's so many human needs in this world. He was so radical. And he moved to Denver, and he did some inner-city mission work. He went to seminary. I remember he called me one Christmas Eve. He said, hey, guess where I'm at? Well, where are you, Carson? He said, I'm on the streets of the inner city doing ministry to people. On Christmas Eve, while the rest of us are drinking eggnog, he's serving the poor. Totally sold out to Christ. He transitioned from an agnostic to a missionary. It took about three to five years But there was that one defining moment, a major loss that really forced him to ask, who is God, who am I, and receiving the grace, of course, and then his mission. You may not have one defining, major, traumatic moment, but you will have several defining moments in your life, and they'll define your God, they'll define yourself, and they'll define your purpose. Let's pray. Father, these times of transition and loss are often painful but also an opportunity to renew and revitalize our faith. I believe you've given them to us as a challenge and to change us. And I pray for everyone here today as they face these defining moments, for for our high school kids, our college young people, for the freshmen in high school, for the newly young parents, the middle-agers, the empty nesters, and the retirees, whatever stage of life they may be, 
that we will all place ourselves in situations where you can speak to us and reveal yourself and we would receive your cleansing and your commission. Lead us and guide us. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.